so I don't forget, um, yesterday was Veterans Day. If, if you were a veteran of any of our United States Armed Forces, would you just stand for a moment so that we can just uh, see who you are and acknowledge you? Go ahead, if you would. Would you stand and give them a big hand? Thank you. Amen. Thank you, folks. Thank you. Thank you so much. The Bible says to give honor to whom honor is due. And uh, in, in all of the bowl full of crazy of our country right now with all the protests and this and that and whatever else, whatever reasons they are taking place, uh, I, I, I trust everybody here is so thankful that we live where we live. And um, as I've had privilege of traveling around, I've seen a lot. And uh, there's no place I'd rather be. It's always a gift to come home. So thank you, uh, ladies and gentlemen, that have served. If you would take your Bibles and turn to John, I'm going to show you a video in just a moment, but turn to John chapter 13. Now, just think with me for a second. I know this is not the most comfortable thought, but what if you only had a month to live? Would you change anything? Would you do anything different? I've been, I started reading a book recently by Carrie Shook, a pastor in Texas. It's called One Month to Live. 30 days to a no-regrets life. And some of what I'm going to share comes a little bit out of that and the thoughts behind it. Because I started thinking about this. What if I only had a month to live or a short time or I knew when the finish line was coming? What would I do? What would I change? How would I live? And I want to talk to us about that today because uh, we're going to look at this passage where Jesus, he doesn't have 30 days, he's just got a few hours, and what does he do? And I think we can begin to understand some principles for how we do that. How many of you are just like rock-hard country and western fans? Well, raise your hands. I, wow, not very many of you. Wow. Okay, thank you. Good. How many of you are just hardcore rock and roll? Give me the, you know. Wow. How many don't care? How many are really apathetic? <laughs> okay, well, uh, I, I, I've never been a, a, a country and western fan until the last few years. My wife kind of did this changeover, and so now she's always got me listening to this stuff. So on my iPod, I got this little section that says C&W. And uh, so uh, and one of the songs on there is I'm going to show you this video today because it ties into And I want you to just listen to the words. The, the video is not that great. I mean, the pictures and the way it's done. But... The, the words are great, and it really ties in to what, uh, what we're talking about today. So um, it's by uh, Tim McGraw. So if you'd watch it, please. I was in my early 40s with a lot of life before me when a moment came that stopped me on a dime. I spent most of the next days looking at the x-rays, talking about the options and talking about sweet time. I asked him when it sank in that this might really be the real end. How's it hit you when you get that kind of news? Man, what'd you do? And he said, I went skydiving. I went Rocky Mountain climbing. I went 2.7 seconds on a full name blue mansion. Someday I hope you get the chance to live like you were dying. He said I was finally the husband that most of the time I wasn't. And 
like to live like you were dying. His whole song, the first part, focuses on what people do. Oh man, I'm going to do this. I'm going to be passionate. I'm going to take some risks. I'm going to make the most of every day. I love that writing of bull named Fu Manchu for two point seconds. But the song goes on and really there's a key segment I want us to look at today where he says, and I love deeper, spoke sweeter. I gave forgiveness that I've been denying someday. And I hope you get the chance to live like you were dying. And this book that I'm reading, it, it, it speaks to all of these issues and these things, and it's getting some of the thoughts coming from that whole process that uh, reading that book, it's really, uh, I've enjoyed it. We're in this season where gratitude, we're talking about gratitude and thankfulness because of the Thanksgiving season. You know what I re- I'm learning about my life? I think that the more gratitude and thankfulness I have, the more it deals with this selfish bent that all of us have to face in our life. And I want to talk about this for the next couple of weeks in some different ways. When we come to John chapter 13, Jesus is hours before he's going to die. And I think he gives us some wonderful principles, very practical, on how to live like you're dying. You know, most of us don't know when it's going to happen, do we? Jesus was well aware. Jesus had a full head on. He knew in just a matter of hours, the end is here. We don't get that, but we all have a shelf life. We all have an expiration date. And I want us to see, how did Jesus deal with that? Because I think there's things that if we live with that understanding, it gives us greater perspective on how to live today, tomorrow, until that time comes. So pick it up in John chapter 13, if you would. Jesus has assembled his followers. And if you read Luke chapter 22, the same story what you're going to find out is they're arguing about who is the greatest. And that prompts Jesus to respond by doing what we're going to read about here. It says, before the Passover festival, Jesus knew that his hour had come to depart from this world to the Father. What he's really saying is Jesus knows he's going to die. He's going to go back to heaven. Now, here's the phrase that I think is so precious and it's so powerful. It says this, now, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them 
to the end. We're seeing the expression of that, what it looks like and what it means to love them to the end. Verse 2, now when it was time for supper, the devil had already put it into the heart of Judas, Simon Iscariot's son, to betray him. I find that's interesting because at one of the most intimate moments in Jesus' ministry, we get to see him being betrayed by Simon, excuse me, by Judas. And you understand if you've been in life, some of us here have already experienced significant betrayal maybe in your life at different points. Because you follow Jesus, I call it a kingdom principle, you're going to be betrayed. It's just going to happen. Count on it. But it doesn't change how Jesus lives nor how he dies. Jesus knew that the Father had given everything into his hands and that he had, uh, and that he had come from God, that all that he had had come from God, and he was going back to God. See, when betrayal comes, and you could name or write down the way that it can happen or has happened in your life, when you know where you've come from, and you know who God is, and you know what he's given you, you don't have to worry about it. And when you know you're ultimately going back to him, guess what? You can live through it. You can make it through. So Jesus got up from supper. He laid aside his outer clothing. He took a towel and he tied it around himself. Next, he poured water into a basin and he began to wash the disciples' feet and to dry them with a towel that was tied around him. So these guys are arguing about who's the greatest. So Jesus says, you know what I'm going to do? And they would have usually hired somebody, a servant, to do this. He says, I'm going to show these guys about greatness. He says, you guys want to climb the mountain? Let me, say, let me show you how you start at the base. And it starts with a basin, and he begins to wash their feet. Came to Simon Peter, who asked him, Lord, you're not going to wash my feet, are you? Well, Jesus answered and said, what I'm doing, you don't realize now, but afterwards you will understand. Verse 8, he says, well, you will wash my feet. You will, Peter says, you're never going to wash my feet. No way, man, that ain't going to happen. And then Jesus says, well, if I don't wash your feet, you're not going to have any part of me. Well, then Simon Peter, you know, this is Mr. Pendulum, back and forth. He says, well, Lord, not only my feet, but power wash everything about me. I mean, just hose me down from my hands to my head, my feet. And then Jesus brings him back to the center, and he says, well, listen, when you've been bathed, when you've already entered into a relationship with me, Jesus tells him, you don't need to wash everything except your feet. Because the picture there is you're walking through the villages and you get a little bit dirty. When we go through life, we're just going to pick up some of the dirt and the sin of the world. But because we know Jesus, we don't need to have this full cleansing that happens when we come to him. And that's what Jesus is trying to explain to him. One who has bathed, Jesus told him, doesn't need to wash anything except his feet. Because he's completely clean. You are clean, but not all of you. For he knew who would betray him. And this is why he said, not all of you are clean. Judas is clean. What you see, though, that Jesus, you know, even the person that does the worst to him, he still washes his feet and he takes care of him. He knew at this time that he was getting ready to leave the world. And it says this, he said, he showed them, who? His disciples. Now, remember, this is like Jesus' family at this time. These are the closest people to him. And what does it say? Well, some translations say he loved them completely or he loved them to the end. You know what he's really saying, what they're saying here? Is he loved them to the finish line. Jesus was a consummate finisher and he finished well. Think of it. Here Jesus has spent three years with these guys and in the midst of this, it says that he loved them in the midst of their past failings, their present flaws, and obviously their future failings. Wouldn't you want to do that with your life, to love completely? To get to the end and say, you know what, doesn't matter who it was or what they did, I loved and finished well like Jesus. And that's what I want to remind us of today. Because it's not so much that most of us have a month or 30 days to live or two weeks or whatever it is. It's simply that we got to live life we want to live like Jesus. And ultimately, we want to finish well. And I want to give you some ideas on how this gratitude and how the more we live with gratitude, the more we can live out some of the expressions of the life of Christ here. And the first one is, if you only had 30 days to live, you have a short time, you would refocus on family and friends, I think. 
I asked Trina a couple of days ago, what would she do if she knew she only had one month to live? She didn't hesitate. She said, I'd retire, I'd spend time with family, and I'd laugh a lot. And if you know Trina, I think that's pretty cool because that's what she loves to do. She loves to laugh. One of the most important things for her is that I can laugh with her and make her laugh and, and do all that. She loves to laugh. And she says, those are the three things that I'd want to do, bar none. She goes, what would you do? I said, well, I think I'd take a big trip. I think I'd get the family together and I'd just take a big trip and I'd splurge all of our money on them and, you know, and I'd just have a lot of fun and remind them how much I really do love them and care for them. And that's what I would do. And she says, well, why don't you do that now? And um, <laughs> I, said, I said, well, don't, don't get ahead of me. And, uh, but, you know, we would just, that's what we would do, isn't it? We'd spend time with our family. See, Jesus is hours from dying. He knew his time was coming. And that's when everything, loved ones, begins to get distilled, doesn't it? It was a few months ago, I, I went to the doctor. I had this thing on my face that um, just wasn't healing. And I'd had it for, man, probably at least a year. And it wasn't healing, and I went. And the doctor looks at it, and he says, well, let me do a biopsy on it. So he scoops out a piece of my face. And uh, sounds good, doesn't it? That's what it felt like, too, just... And uh, does a biopsy, and he says, yeah, come back, we need to do a little bit of surgery on it. So I came back, and, you know, it, was, you know, it took a little piece off, and I thought, you know, there's going to be a little scar there, you know, half an inch. And I go in there and get done. He goes in and digs it all out, and, um, and then I see it, and the man's like two, two and a half inches. And um, I thought, wow. I go back, and I go, hey, nice, nice job, Doc. I mean, I didn't realize it was going to be quite so big. And he goes, well, you know, we got to get it, got to get margins. And think of it this way, you'll have this nice scar so that when people see you, they'll think you've been in a bar fight and you can brag about it. And I go, well, that's really nice, but that's probably not going to fly real well for what I do, you know? <laughs> and so I got to tell him I'm a pastor, a preacher, and, and uh, so I'll probably have to come up with a different storyline and everything. But you know, even in that short time, the doctor told me before, and he said, you know, it's probably, it's probably benign, there's nothing wrong, don't have to worry about it. melanoma or anything, I see this all the time. <clears throat> but, but when you know you have maybe just a little bit of cancer in your body, benign and benign, malignant, you don't know, kind of makes you, it kind of gives you a values clarification moment because you really don't know. And I thought, when I die, who's going to miss me? Thank you. And some of you just might <laughs> for a short time. And then you'll get some young, beautiful preacher up here, and you'll move forward as it should be. But here's what I realized. You know who's going to miss me? My family. Because they're still somewhat dependent on me for a few things. I miss my dad. My dad and I weren't close. But I often wondered, Dad, what, what, what would he think of me today? You know, because the last time he saw me, he never saw me preach. I thought, you know, Dad, what, what, what if I could just talk to him? I miss him. Even though we weren't close. And I know my family will, you know why? Because that's the most important relationships that we have, ultimately, is our relationships with our family and our closest friend. They're the ones that you would want to be with, spend time with. I, I noted last week that I'm in this really different season in my life. I know who my friends are. I know who my friends are. I know who I can trust with my life because I've done life together with so many of these people for so many years. I just know. You know. I know who those people are. And I've learned that over time that circumstances and life has a way of distilling life and perspective in how we see it. I had a meeting this last Wednesday night, and my phone was going off, and um, it was in the evening, and so when I got home, I checked it, and it was from my Uncle Dale, but it wasn't my Uncle Dale because he had passed away um, that evening, and it hit me. It was my dad's brother. Excuse me. Yeah, my dad's brother, and um, what I realized is I am now the patriarch of the Riley family, and, and that's kind of sobering. 
because I don't feel that old, you know, Patriarch Riley. But here's the deal. I, it, it was just about six months ago, I was telling you last week that I felt like I just needed to start extending myself and making my extended family, Riley family, more of a priority and even treat as family. And I don't mean like I just them ignored them. It's just that when things are going on, I would allow responsibility to basically usurp family stuff up there and around in Oregon. And in this last season, the Lord has really kind of been refocusing me. One month to live. Wouldn't you want to spend more time with those you love the most? Well, here's the question. Why don't we now? Why would it take a doctor's report? Why would it take something else to do that, a short time? I think I have one word. It's called busy. We just get busy. And I realized something recently that's kind of sobering and kind of sweet at the same time. Trina, Nana Trina, is Isaac's, our only grandson's favorite person in the whole wide world besides her parents, besides his parents. And I don't even know, that might be negotiable. <laughs> and I was wondering one Saturday, because I'm the guy that, you know, takes him out and plays baseball with him and, you know, does and wrestles with him and throws him down and beats him up and all that kind of stuff. And I wonder, how come I'm not his favorite person? And it's very obvious I'm not compared to her. And it hit me one Saturday when I got up. Because he usually spends the night on Friday night, he gets up on Saturday. What I realized was, is from the time he arrives there on Friday uh, until he goes home on Saturday sometime, Trina is it. He is her focus. I'll get up on Saturday morning and I'll spend 17 seconds with him, throw him down on the bed really quick and then say, okay, buddy, I got to go. I got to go do some work. I either got to go to the church or I got to, you know, get ready for Sunday at home and then I'll intermittently take breaks, but I don't give him full attention. And I realized, you know what, that's, that's the difference between Nana and Papa. See, if I was in the last season and I'm going to be working on this, it's more about my family, people that I love. If you're a short timer, you'd think the same way that your family and your friends would be the most important. What would you want to do? There's some lines in each one of these sections that I would encourage you this week to literally apply some of what I'm talking about. Think it through. And start living today like you're dying. Because ultimately we are. Some of us just have a lot longer to go. And that's not to be macabre. It's not to be, you know, modeling or anything like that. It's a reality because when we begin to see life through this one-month lens, it will begin to prioritize the way we probably should prioritize. Think of the last night that Jesus' his life. What was he doing with the brothers? He was really kind of giving them marching orders, but he was also making memories. These were his closest friends. What did he do? They had a meal together. We call it the Last Supper. Supper. He instituted communion. The word communion has to do, uh, we get the word Eucharist from it, which simply means giving of thanks, having gratitude. And that's what that's about. And we go, well, was that that big a deal? We're still talking about it 2,000 years later. We still celebrate it. And imagine what he's doing there, the memories that he made with his disciples. He sits there and he goes, take and eat. Take this bread. It's the, it's, it represents my body. Drink this cup of juice, this wine. It represents my blood so you can experience forgiveness and you can experience life. Don't forget it because there's going to come another time up in heaven when we're going to do this again. See, he's building these memories. And then he turns to Peter. He says, Peter, 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 be careful. There's going to be some things happening in the next few hours. Don't quit. Don't turn away. Keep going. What a memory for Peter. And then he goes to the middle of the chapter toward the end, and he goes, listen, love one another. Listen, the whole world will know that you're my disciples because of the way you love one another. And he says, a new commandment I give to you, love one another even as I've loved you. It wasn't that he was going to die for them, that kind of love. It's simply serve one another, be united together. And those are the memories that Jesus made on that evening. Jesus was intentional 
about being with those he loved and making memories. And I want to challenge us, loved ones, that we would do that, especially going into this holiday season, because it's going to get busy for a lot of us. Step back, slow down, go full flaps, and focus on those most important people, your family and your closest friends during this season. If you only had one month to live, ask yourself this, with whom would you want to spend time? What would you most want to do together to make lasting memories? Is there anything in your life that needs to be readjusted or refocused? If there is, do it. Do it now. Live today like you would then. Secondly, speak from your your soul. Jesus said he loved them completely. How does he do that? He speaks from his soul. Let people really know how you feel about them. See, I didn't grow up, and a lot of you didn't. A lot of us, we didn't grow up in a family that understood how to love and how to express it. I was a teenager. I used to carry out Trina's mother's groceries. This is before we were boy and girlfriend, and I would invite myself over for fried chicken because she always had chicken. And so finally, she invited me over, and I'd go over there. And I noticed this interesting thing because her family, you know, she had uh, five siblings, four siblings and her, so there's five, seven people at a table. And, you know, I never had a family from fifth grade on, so it's like this was weird. This was kind of cool. But what I noticed is how they cared for each other, how they kidded one another, how they served each other. And then her mother was always so loving toward me. She's the one person in my life that always said, oh, you're going to make something out of yourself someday. And this is when I was just carrying out her groceries. Didn't even have a relationship with her daughter. But that's, but that's what I got from her family. Is I saw that's how a family sits around and begins to express love. Because they care for one another. So Jesus says in 13.1, he says, Jesus loved them completely. As you read, I would encourage you to do that this week. Read John chapter 13 through 17. You will see some of the most powerful and intimate moments of Jesus communicating to his disciples and then praying for his disciples. And here's what I want you to know. The things that he says to them and the things that he prays for them is what he's prayed for you and for me and for the church throughout the ages. And it gives us this wonderful understanding of how to communicate love, how to share life, how to pray for those people that are closest to us, our beloved family and our beloved closest friends. Share your heart with them while you have the chance. A couple of questions for you to consider. Who needs to be assured that you love them today? I I told you last week that one of the reasons that I went up to see my brother's wedding, it isn't because I really had the time. It was like a 36-hour trip. The reason I did it is because he's 43, and I'm however old I am. And um, I haven't had a lot of uh, life with him. And I wanted him to know I cared. I wanted him to know that as his big brother, I care. Because he doesn't have any other man in his life that I know of. Who do you care about? Who do you need to assure of your love? Make a list of people with whom you'd want to share your heart and start telling them how you feel about them. Don't wait. Next thing is to mend or renew relationships. See, Jesus is here and he's got Judas who's betraying him and he knows knows it, but he's not marginalizing him. It says the devil had already put in the heart of Judas to betray him. If you had one month to love completely and to finish well, I think you would try probably to mend some broken relationships, whether you've been betrayed, whether you've been talked about, put down. You'd seek out those that you know you've offended. And you'd probably ask for their forgiveness. You'd ultimately just bury the hatchet, wouldn't you? This is what Paul wrote to the church at Rome in Romans chapter 12. It's on your notes there. He said this, Be in agreement with one another. Be united. He says, don't be proud. Have you ever noticed how pride, being proud is usually what breaks down relationships? It keeps people apart, keeps them from being able to mend and to take care of the relational issues that maybe separated them. He says, don't be proud. Instead, associate with the humble. Do not be wise in your own estimation. 
Do not repay anyone evil for evil. Try to do what is honorable in everyone's eyes. If possible, on your part, live at peace with everyone. You know you can't live at peace with everyone. You can only do your part to do that. Friends, don't avenge yourselves. Instead, leave room for his wrath, for it is written, vengeance belongs to me, says the Lord. And sometimes, you know, when you're in these relational situations that need mending, you just have to wait. But in that process, you can be praying and asking God to soften the hearts of other people as well as maybe yours or your family members. Maybe there's some people you need to take care of. Remember the Lord's Prayer? Matthew chapter 6, 9 through 13 says this, Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread. And then verse 12 says, Forgive us our debts as we have also forgiven our debtors. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. And we move on. But note verse 12. Forgive us our debts, as we also have forgiven our debtors. Do you really want to pray that? Do you really want to ask God to forgive you as you have forgiven others? Oh. Maybe we nurse a grudge. We hold the bitterness in our heart. And if you refuse to forgive, I wonder if it isn't like telling God, I want you to forgive me the way I forgive others. Jesus goes on to say just a couple of verses later in Matthew 6, 14 and 15, he says this, for if you forgive men they, when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive men their sins, your Father will not forgive your sins. Isn't it interesting? Of all the things in the Lord's Prayer, give us this day our daily bread. Hallowed your name, you're to be worshipped. Oh, the power and the glory forever. Of all of the things Jesus could comment on, what does he comment on? He picks this one, forgiveness, to make comment on. Why is it? He wants to make it clear, loved ones, that you and I were made to be forgivers not hold their honors. We were made to release things because God knows that when we hold on to those things, we take them and they become toxic to our soul. They, the, uh, Hebrews 12 talks about this root of bitterness that goes in deep into our lives. And this is so hard, isn't it? But we understand over time, bitterness will ultimately poison us. We want to punish that other person, but when we refuse to forgive, you know what? We only hurt ourselves. Now, hear me. Understand this. I can't spend a lot of time on it, but never forget forgiveness is a process, and it starts with a decision, because you might forgive somebody and go, okay, well, forgive, uh, forgive so-and-so because of this, that, and the other, and then you close your eyes and say, you know, open your eyes and say, amen, and you move on, and you go, I don't feel any better. That's because forgiveness is a process. The deeper the pain, the greater the hurt, the longer it takes to heal. But it has to start with a decision, and it usually starts with a prayer. And that can begin the process, so every day you begin to live that out. See, to love completely means that we're going to forgive. And what that's going to look like is we're going to forgive anyone, anytime, anything, anywhere. Why? Because life is short. Life is too short to stay hurt and bitter. When I do a memorial service, a funeral, a celebration of life, now there's almost always two things that I insert in that service. Number one, check your relational ledger. Make sure that your family and people around you, that it's clear. Don't have a red mark, a negative spot on it. And secondly, check your relational ledger with the living God. Do you understand that this is an eternal decision? Because you don't know how many, how many funerals I've done where somebody died tragically, suddenly, without expectation, and I have people come up to me. You know what they say? Oh, I just regret. I wish I would have taken care of this. I wish I would have said this. I wish I would have done that. See, I want to live a life without regrets. No regrets. 
I was flying home on Southwest last week, and they have those magazines, you know, and there was a story there of a man's name was Eric Stuner. He was shy. He was sensitive growing up. And there was another guy named Jeff uh, Zoltny. He was brash. He was athletic. He was popular. He was loud. Their lives intersected in kindergarten. And Jeff started bullying Eric, making fun of him, letting him know, you can't be a part of my group. You can't sit at my table. Instead of kicking the ball to him, he'd just as soon kick it at him. Made fun of him. This went on from kindergarten through high school, and they end up separating. So this shy, sensitive man takes that into his adult years, and one day they ended up connecting, reconnecting on Facebook. And then he finds out more, Eric finds out more about Jeff and finds out that, and, and I'm not promoting this other than, but every religion, it has redemptive stuff and forgiveness and, and uh, taking care of past things is always part of those religions. So he becomes kind of like a Buddhist monk. And now he started all these programs to help with bullying, to help with people, to help them move them along. And they end up reconnecting and they get their relationship taken care of. It's kind of a powerful story. Because some of us live like that. You know, we've been hurt deeply in our early years or somewhere, and if we don't deal with it, we carry that into our later years in life. Now they do this story together and they work together. It, it's, a, it's, a, it's a wonderful, redemptive story. See, when we see life in perspective and we live a life with gratitude, you know, a lot of grievances look kind of silly. I'm not saying that that bullying situation was, was silly at all because there are so many things that run very deep and they're not easy to forgive. But my challenge to you is this journey that we're on, loved ones, is too short. So don't allow your journey to have major obstacles of unforgiveness. Ask for God's help. It may not be easy to forget something of your past, but God commands us to live with forgiveness, not only for the other person, but so we don't live in a prison of unforgiveness. And maybe that's something that you want to do today. Say, I need to take care of this. I was watching a special last night with, uh, uh, it was an interview with Dan Rather by, um, with actor uh, Keith, uh, Keeper Sutherland. He was in a movie during a really difficult season of his life. And in this movie, part of the scripts, one of the actors said something to him that was actually spoken in the movie. But here's what's interesting. He said, you know what? It, 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 went, it, it wasn't even part of the script at that point. That was a message to me for my life at that time. And this is what the words, this is what the statement was. He said, in the end, we know what we've done. So here's the question. What will you do? We know what we've done. We know if we've got to take care of something. We know if we can stand with our shoulders back and say, God, I feel good about this. But sometimes we know God's saying, I want you to take care of this. I want you to deal with it. So here's questions to think about. If you had one month to live, whom would you ask to call for forgiveness? Is there someone you need to forgive? Is there someone that needs that you need to ask them for forgiveness? Here's the deal. Make the call. Don't let it go. Live like you're dying. Because you are. We are. Oh, the only difference is it may not be a month. It might be a year. It might be 20 years. It might be 30. But we're all dying. Live that way. Another one is express gratitude to those who have contributed to your life. One of the things that we learn as children is four words. What is it? What do you say? Somebody would give me something. My dad would say, what do you say? Thank you. Go over to somebody's house for dinner. You're leaving. Dad would say, what do you say? Thank you for a wonderful meal. Thank you for having us over. See, we're in Thanksgiving season. I was thinking about this day before yesterday. What's the difference between gratefulness and thankfulness? What's the difference between thanks and gratitude? Well, the Oxford Dictionary defines the work grateful as showing an appreciation of kindness. That's the difference. 
See, gratitude is about expressing and showing what you feel. That's, being, that's having gratitude. It's an action, whereas thankfulness is really a feeling. It's you walk around all day and you just go, oh, I'm so thankful. I'm so thankful for this. I'm so thankful for that. And here's the challenge that I think what we want to make sure that we're doing is we're not just feeling it, but we're expressing gratitude. If you have one month to live, think who you'd want to say thank you to. Proverbs 3, 27 says this, Do not withhold good from those to whom it is due, but when it is in your power to act, do it. How many times do we say, I'm going to do that, I'm going to do that, I'm going to do that, and then we forget, and we don't do it. And then we say, I'll get it next year, I'll get it next month. And we still don't do it. When we come to this season, loved ones, I have decided, I challenge you, I'm going to start. A couple of things I'm doing, I'm taking a picture every day. I talked about this last year, but for the next 20 days, I'm going to take a picture. I'm going to put it in my journal. I'm going to write thanks on it. This is what I'm thankful for. And then I'm starting to write notes to people that have brought a contribution to my life. And just say thank you specifically for doing this. See, Jesus talked about this. See, we forget how practical the Bible is. If you look at Luke chapter 17, 10 lepers go to Jesus to get healed. Lord, help us. They're on the outskirts of town. They're marginalized. And Jesus comes up to them. These 10 guys, he says, you're healed. Now go tell the priest, because that's what they had to do in that day. They were on the outskirts of town because people would literally throw rocks at them to keep them away because leprosy was such a contagious disease. And so they'd be on the outskirts. And so to, to prove that they were healed, they had to go to the priest, and the priest would check them out and say, okay, you're healed. Now you can enter back into the stream of society. So Jesus says, go tell the priest. So they lickety split, imagine. And it says as they're running, all of a sudden they realize they're healed. I mean, imagine this, this leprosy, this, this, this dead skin begins to become pink and new and whole. And all of a sudden, one of them notices it. What does he do? He turns around, does a beeline, U-turn, back to Jesus. The other turn, the other night, man, let's get this thing cleared up. Let's get back with living. Well, what does Jesus say? Luke 17, 19, and 18, Jesus says, Weren't there 10 that were cleansed? Where's the other nine? No one was found to return and give praise to God except this foreigner, this Samaritan. Where are the other nine? One in 10 come back. I wonder, I wonder, could that be the percentages that we deal with today? Maybe 10% of the people in the world are fully alive and truly appreciate the gifts of God in their life. Where they literally stop and they say, oh, Lord, thank you for this and that and this. I guess probably about 90% of the world never stops to say thank you for the blessings of their life. That's why 20 days, I want you to take the next 20 days, December 1st, to savor the rich gifts that God has given you, the small things, the large things. I don't want us to be the 90%. I want us to be the 1%. That every day, God, thank you. See, God deserves our daily thanks, but people also deserve it too, to say thank you for what they do. There's so many people, loved ones, that have contributed to our lives, and we want to thank them. There was a CEO of Fortune uh, 500, a CEO of a Fortune 500 company. He pulled into a service station. Him and his wife were traveling, and they went in, and he filled up the gas, and uh, had the tenant fill up the gas, and then he went in and paid for it. And as he came out, he saw his wife was just really engaged with the service attendant. sounded like they were having this very animated conversation. And they're talking and talking, and he gets in the car, and they start driving away. And he goes, yeah, I noticed that conversation you had there. He goes, she goes, oh, yeah, you know, it's interesting. That's a, that's a guy I knew from high school. As a matter of fact, we actually dated a number of times. And he goes, oh, okay. And so they're driving off and a few miles and just silence. And he finally turns to her and says, you know what? I bet I know what you're thinking. She goes, what do you think I'm thinking? He goes, I'll bet you're thinking how glad you are that you married me, a successful businessman, and not that service attendant. 
And she looks at him, thought for a second. She goes, no, that's not what I'm thinking at all. Here's what I'm thinking. If I would have married him, he'd be the successful CEO, and you'd be a service attendant. (laughs) It's so easy for us, isn't it, to take credit? And to forget that there's people around us that have spoken into our lives, people around us that have opened doors for us and made it possible for us to get to where we are. Can I remind you, this is a great season to say thank you to them. Call them, write them, see them, be with them. So here's a question. Who do you want to say thanks to today? If you only had one month, who would you say thanks to? Who would you communicate because they made an incredible contribution in your life? I almost think that's what Jesus is doing as he gathers his disciples. He's making a game plan. Guys, thanks. This is what we're going to do. Thanks for being a part of the team. And the last one is this. Make a final appeal. Make a final appeal. Jesus got up and he washed their feet. And he says, you know something, if you, don't, if, if you can't handle this, you're not going to be a part of me. I have some friends that are far from Christ. I've got family members that are far from Christ. I need to make a final appeal to them. They all know what I do. They know who I am. But I wouldn't. Just like I, you know, it would be rude to leave a home and not say thank you. I think it'd be rude if I left this home and didn't say, I I just got to talk to you one more time about the love of God. And I want you to consider the claims of Jesus Christ on your life. And that's kind of what Jesus is doing here. Don't forget, don't forget, Peter, stay the course. If you don't take part of this, guess what? You're not going to have a part of me, and that's a big deal. That's an eternal deal. In this book by Shook, he tells the story of a climber on Mount Everest, which is obviously most of us know the tallest mountain at 29,000 plus feet in the, in the world. One of the truths is, is that 26,250, you enter what is called the death zone. It's where the body is unable to acclimate due to Um, the low levels of oxygen. So if you stay there too long, you die. Well, in this story, he's telling that in 2006, there was a man that was left there. And he he just, he, he was dying in this death zone. Well, some of his team was so ambitious and they'd given so much money and prepared for so long to be able to make this climb, they went ahead of him and figured they'd pick him up on the way back. Well, other teams passed him as well. And they figured, oh, he's got his own team. We're just going to leave him here, and they'll take care of him. What ended up happening is the man died. Short time later, there was another climber. His name was Lincoln Hall. He was also found in the death zone. But when he was found, he was found by four climbers and 11 Sherpas who, who gave up their own summit attempt to stay with him so that they could nurse him back to health, get him ready for the descent down. They gave up their climb, their total and final ascent of a couple of thousand feet so they could go 26,000 down to save this man's life. I thought about that. How many of us look around now? How many, you know, I don't have a lot of regrets in my life. But I suppose if you really press me, I'd say, I wish I would have spent more time with certain people. I wish I, I wish I wouldn't have quite had maybe quite so much holy ambition that made me do this and that and the other in terms of my time and not give it to maybe some of my family and my closest friends. How about you? Because here's the deal. Who have I passed along the way that's dead? That's, they're in the death. Listen, our world is in the death zone. And, and we just pass them by because we figure, eh, somebody else will get them. Or we're just too busy. Jesus is dying, and yet he dons the towel of his servant. 
Why? Because he's showing the depth and the range of his love for the people around him. He's on the way to the cross. And he says, I'm not going to let you die. I'm going to go to the cross and I'm going to save you, but I'm going to speak to you. I'm going to appreciate you. I'm going to give you my life now. And hear me, loved ones, is I want to challenge us. Live like we're dying in all the positive ramifications of that. Use your time. Don't think you're going to have next week, next month, next year. We've got today. And let's be different makers. Amen? Let's stand together if you would. Would you just take a moment and evaluate and think about Is there one of these areas that speaks to you today where you would say, I need to consider it? I need to live today in this area in a new way. So in the end, there's no regrets. But you get to be like Jesus and say, I loved completely. I loved until the end. Just take a moment and say, Lord, just Kind of deposit. Some of you probably already heard the Lord, the Spirit of God, speak to you as you listened. But let's take our next step. Let's determine. Let's decide. Let's hear what our next step is. Father, thankfulness is a wonderful thing to feel it, to know it to be mindful of it. But the thing, Lord, I think that you want to call us to is our gratitude. That we would be people of gratitude that would express it to the people around us through our love, through our forgiveness, through our words, through our actions. So I pray, Lord, today that you would teach us. As the psalmist said in Psalm 90, that we would live with a heart of wisdom. Teach us to number our days. And that, Lord, we would see every day as a gift and we would get up with thankfulness to you and gratitude to people around us that contribute to our lives. Pray your blessing, Lord, upon these precious people. Lord, as we move into this holiday season full scale, let there be these moments, God, where we look around and we take time to fully live and to fully love. Thank you for these people. Bless them, I pray in Jesus' name. Everybody said. Amen. Amen. You're sure loved. Lord bless you. Have a good day.